Cradeline Network. I am the law, and this is the second episode of Big Mac One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the Judge Dredd magazine, volume one, issues two and three, cover dates November and December 1990. This episode, the midnight, uh, uh, this episode, Midnight's Children Finish Hunting, Death Comes to Drongo Springs, Judge Death Rents a Room, Kenny Who is Headed Home, and America Gets Radicalized. <laughs> and if you want to read the com- and if you, you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread the Complete Case Files 15 and the America, Young Death, and Art of Kenny Who collections, respectively. Um, cool. How you doing, Eli? How you uh, continuing our path into the Judge Dread magazine? Uh, been loving it. Yeah. Uh, now that I, you know, uh, have been so educated in all these characters, I'm really uh, find myself emotionally invested in uh, what they're going through. So oh, it's nice. a lot of fun. Yeah, there's definitely some some crazy stuff going on as these, even just as these stories are getting started, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And let's get started with some just some general action going in with Story One, Midnight's Children. A script about Alan Grant, art about Jim Bakey, learning about Tom Frame. Oh, and I should say um, in the uh, – I'll talk about it a little later, but in the editorials for this um, – for the uh, for 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 issue two, they do talk about where in the general Judge Dread timeline all these stories take place. So I'll be saying that as we go into them. Oh, yeah, that's cool. That's good info. Yeah. So this one takes place a little bit. Takes place recently in Mega City One history, but a pre Necropolis. So it's just like maybe six months or so ago, or something like that. Okay. So it's it's nighttime in Mega City One. A hover wagon with shining spotlights looks. Um, um, f- flies around as an invisible archer stalks his prey. Judge Dredd tells the vehicles to keep looking and then to switch on to an infrared, and now they can see this hunter guy. He escapes down a fire escape as Dredd gives chase. In the IR spotlight, he can, he, uh, Dredd, it seems like, can see the manhunter, um, on his own and shoots, but the, uh, bowman gets away. Meanwhile, and this story's got a lot of meanwhiles, Eli. It seems like a bunch of stuff happens. Every, every page, it seems like there's a different scene. Yes. It's, it's the onion of uh, narrative. There's Absolutely. stories on stories. Totally. Um, so, But at the uh, midnight nightclub, society types in, uh, in a long line offer triple the entrance fee to get in. And as they do, that manhunter slides past invisibly. Elsewhere, a bunch of juve gangers celebrate beating up a witness to the gang fight last issue. When they come, they did more than beat him up. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, as we'll see later, the grisly murder of this witness to a crime. Um, but they come to a, a garbage truck that seems to be owned by two men in suits and top hats. They're the folks we met last time: Hieronymus Fubar and Mister Maggot. And they've got a, tr- a dump truck full of babes and cash to offer these juves. <laughs> Not suspicious at all, right? If someone ever offers you babes and cash in a dump truck, 
you go in there. You know, obviously there's nothing to worry about. I mean, what? You got so much to live for that you don't follow that? No way. You know, come on. <laughs> but it turns out the both the babes and the cash are holograms. And then the dump truck fills up with gas and they get knocked out. Back at the club, Dread rushes in fist first, taking out the bouncer. As the club, as he enters in and the club gets weird, uh, there's a lounge singer who pulls the skid off his own face and is like a like a skeleton and muscle man that keeps singing along. Look at the weird, yeah, skull face. Right. Um, and it's part of the act because uh, one of the babes comes with a bucket, the face bucket. Yeah, no, they, 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 yes, they definitely planned for this. It wasn't unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Tuesday. Yeah, you know, listen, we're trying to put on a show. Uh, the club owner, Johnny Midnight, shows Dread to the back way, and he finds an arrow lying there, so he's back on the hunt. But after Dread leaves, the invisible guy himself crawls out of a hidden panel on the floor. Johnny Midnight calls him Mid calls him Nimrod, who was, of course, biblically a mighty hunter before the Lord, and slaps him, saying that, yeah, you've endangered me enough with your various murders and so forth. I'm ashamed to call you my brother. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, it's exciting. Elsewhere, judges are investigating the murder of the witness to that Juve gang. I guess it's Dread here again. And they go to check nearby apartments for witnesses. But inside one, all the folks are all dead. They're just skeletons watching TV. It's very <laughs> weird. They just find randomly, I guess. Yeah. And then they just roll credits after that. And we're on to the next one. Yeah, so. that's just fade to black, nice. you know. Right. <laughs> nice cliffhanger. But let's just keep going with the second ep- – with the next episode of Midnight's Children here. Okay. Uh, Johnny Midnight calls his dad and says that Nimrod's killing people again. His dad's not interested in getting his son help though. And we see that as he kind of yells at Johnny, this is this dad guy is just a head attached to a bunch of machinery basically. <laughs> he asks to talk to Nimrod, but the hunter is already off putting arrows through the head of a beggar. Oh, what a jerk. He's just minding his own business. <laughs> Elsewhere, Dred's talking to a lady explaining that her family accidentally made a casserole out of cockroach poison, and she was too afraid to tell the judges that her family was dead because it would, like, end all their welfare checks that she was getting from them and stuff like that. And she didn't want to get in trouble. Um, right. <laughs> the lie detector comes up that this is true, and she gets six months for concealment. The underclass gang is long gone, and we kn- and we know that they are now in the back of Fubar's garbage truck. Um, Dread gets a call about the man hunter and rushes out to investigate. Meanwhile, in an alley, a pair of perps are mugging a citizen and about to kick the crap out of him when they both get shot by arrows in the head and chest, and then the victim gets shot by them by one as well. <laughs> How quickly it must have gone from thanks, strange arrow bowman. Yeah. To, oh, no. Yeah. This is- <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Control has tracked the hunter to some kind of multi-story cemetery thing. And a Dread bursts through the gate as the hunter sort of has an internal monologue that says, Oh, me and Dread, we're, or the judges, we're the same. Like, he kind of talks about being in an urban jungle and the uh and like the judges being predators but he's a hunter so he's got like a different i don't know look on life than the predators or something like that oh it's a whole thing (laughs) in the shadows nimrod takes aim and shoots dread and the arrow goes through his shoulder pad dread rolls off his bike but nimrod's already moved elsewhere shoots an arrow right into the back of dread's helmet 
At the same time, Fubar and Maggot are uh, turning in the juves they've caught, but four isn't nearly enough, so they'll have to go in, so they'll have to go out again as the juves wake up from the gas that they were dosed with and get dropped through a trap door to some kind of holding cell with a weird, crazy monster on the other side of the door of the bars. What's going on? <laughs> uh, Dread draws down on, on Nimrod. Oh, sorry, um, Nimrod goes to check his kill, but finds that Dredd's helmet has been placed on the head of, like, an uh, angel tombstone thing. It's a trap! Dredd draws his gun on Nimrod, and the Manhunter shoots at him, but Dredd shoots the hunter in the chest, and Nimrod lies dying on the lap of an angel. <laughs> Good symbolism there. That, that's, you know. Yeah, definitely. Gives you something to think about going forward and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> I... I I really like the plotting of this, just all these different stories happening at once, sort of playing out in dread, having to run from one thing to the next. It's sort of a, it's got a, kind of a, of a, uh, a graveyard shift kind of vibe, just with so many things that he's got to handle at the same time in right. Diversity One. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, are they connected or is it just, you know, just coincidence that, you know, uh, there's a bar, there's a demon guy, this guy's getting kidnapped. I like thinking that it's all going to tie together, but the, you know, Mech City's so crazy that, these yeah. could all be completely different psychopaths all doing their own psychopathic thing. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, the boss that Fubar and Maggot are working for could be another one of that Midnight Guy's children or something like that. Like, I think it's definitely really interesting right. to see how these all these different strands are going to be tied up together right. for sure. Right. But, the, I mean, the city and the world is so big. <laughs> like, yeah, no, them all being completely yeah. unrelated is like, yeah. Not surprised. No, I mean, there's so many people. And yeah, like you said, there's so much size that, yeah, at any given time, there could just be multiple, like, weird insanity murders going on in mm-hmm. Mega City mm-hmm. 1 that are completely unrelated, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, but speaking of um, senseless murders, Eli. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's go to story two, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, script robot Garth Ennis, art robot John McRae, lettering robot Tom Frame. And this one takes place a little bit into the future, actually, because it takes place after Surpre- Super Surf 12. So maybe like 2113 or something like that. Um, a few kilometers out from Drongo Springs, Chopper comes upon his friend Wipeout Joe, Wipeout Jones, who's just sort of surfing forward on autopilot, making his way out to the spring to meet with Chopper and his buddy buddies he flies he flies around him and scares him and then the two sort of like fly off happily basically Wipeout, i should say he he was in super surf 10 with chopper in the oz storyline he even loaned chopper a uh a, a a replacement for his destroyed surfboard because chopper you know he was just sort of going to be in the middle of the pack and he knew if chopper had his board he'd be able to win the whole thing or come in second basically um Anyway, he's just won Super Surf 12, but admits that's less of a claim because so many of the world's top surfers were basically killed in Super Surf 11. So it's sort of an, it's a weaker field than it has been in the past. Right. At Drongo Springs, Wipeout is introduced to the rest of the crew. While back in Sydney, Derek O'Hearn from Stig Corp meets with the Oz chief judge. And the chief judge is wearing this cork hat. Which is this weird, stereotypical Australian thing, I guess? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just sort of these big, like, wide-brimmed hats that have corks hanging off from them or something. And I guess the swinging corks are supposed to block mosquitoes. 
or mm. whatever. But my understanding is that it's basically like the Australian version of like a sombrero or something where it's more right. it's more worn by tourists in kind of a non-complimentary way than mm. by actual natives or whatever. Right. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem too practical. No. I, mean, I don't know. It could be kind of fun in a party kind of way, I guess. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> the chief seems resistant to helping O'Hearn until the uh, executive shows the chief some ex- incriminating photographs. Wombats are involved, and he's got no choice but to help. <laughs> yeah, uh, when was Wombats get involved? That's how you know. Listen, they're endangered, you know? Uh, <laughs> After securing the chief judge's assistant, uh, O'Hearn motors out, making plans. He confirms the weapon satellite is go and arrives at a site full of armed guys. Back at the ranch, we learn that my favorite mucus, the ox slash sheep mutant beast, or we learn that he is an ox combined with a sheep and a fair amount of like mutating radiation. And then he sneezes all over Wipeout, which is pretty funny. Uh, right. <laughs> Wipeout cleans up and talks to Chopper and Jug about how they've moved on from their more competitive nature. As Chopper says that his um, Aboriginal Australian friend Schroeder told him that this place was a nexus of hundreds of, hundreds of song lines and stuff. He seems to be into that stuff as O'Hearn calls forth a massive Stig Corp, like Earth Mover drill machine kind of thing. It's just this, this this giant, like, industrial structure with huge wheels that, like, totally dwarfs him and his car and stuff like that. Right. It's this huge thing. Yeah. yeah, that car was a nice touch just to kind of show scale. Yeah, exactly. Just sort of you know how, how huge it is. That night at the campfire, Chopper talks to Schroeder himself, who tells him about Koala Stan, who we met last episode. And then the lads decide to go for a night surf. <laughs> Back at corporate HQ, O'Hearn's all business as the as a tech prepares the combat satellite. They got lasers and missiles, and he basically gives the order to saturate the area with missiles and use the lasers to specifically target surfers, including Chopper. The uh, the lads are surfing around as Wipeout recounts his super surf victory. The three of them like uh, cheers their beers, and things seem pretty nice and peaceful until suddenly a giant space laser comes shooting down. And cuts off Wipeout's left arm and some of the rest of his body. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> My goodness. It's a very sort of Akira thing here. Just this giant right. space laser just cut That's his what I was thinking too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah, man, it just... Uh, turn from so peaceful and happy to just oh my my goodness there's just blood like, and body parts vanity. all over the place yeah chopper and Bl- chopper and jug are covered in wipeouts blood and chopper just starts having full flashbacks to super surf 11 uh jug springs into action but chopper's frozen in place at least until he hears charlene scream and then he too hops to it Death rains down from the skies all around him as he directs others to safety. Judge Jug's board gets clipped by a laser as Chopper flies around looking for Charlene, and he realizes that these lasers are locked specifically onto him. Looking for safety and having no other choice, he flies under Mucus, and the beast gets lasered! No, Mucus! He was my favorite, you know, but I guess angels can't survive forever, Eli. That's how right. it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Back at corporate, uh, Derek O'Hearn celebrates as it seems like the death of Mucus has been counted as Chopper being killed. 
He gives the sat operate the satellite operator some extra bonus cash as the executive, you know, him and his buddies celebrate. And he goes to call corporate. Back at Drongo Springs, the uh, survivors are getting medical attention as Chopper dunks uh, that one high dude Moke's head in some water to get him to sober up a little bit. And Schroeder swings by. It looks like him and the rest of the Abor- Australian Aborigines are going to be moving to a new home. Chopper tries to sort of argue with him, saying, like, you know, you guys have to fight. You should stay and defend your land and stuff like that. But Schroeder's basically saying, like, look, like, our people survive by not fight by not fighting these fights that can't be won. You know, we survive and that's how we win. Mm, and right. sort of calls Chopper a Johnny, a Johnny come late. You know, basically, basically just kind of calls him like a white guy who's trying to who's trying to sound cool by saying mm. that they should fight and die when really, like, you know, they've just got to move on. Which I think mm. is at least an, it's interesting that someone's saying that, I guess, in mm. this story. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a good uh, take on because, you know, that's naturally the uh, progression of a narrative as, oh, we're the good people. Oh, the bad guys did something. We got to fight. But I think it is good to kind of show the natives being like, hey, yo, uh, yeah, they'll kill us. They don't they don't care. You see what they did just did. Yeah, they, they're these, not. These guys have goddamn space lasers, buddy. Like, right. We can't. Right. <laughs> That's not right. something you can really come back from what if you're a plucky underdog, you know? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no matter no matter how much heart you have, there's right. still space lasers. Yeah. You know? Hey, you protagonist, you go off and defeat the bad guy. We got some other stuff we need to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, we're just facing a crowd, buddy. <laughs> it's not for us to do. <laughs> you're the hero. <laughs> this, the comic's named after you. You'll probably be okay, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe if we were in the Schroeder comic, I'd, I'd think differently, you know. <laughs> um, elsewhere, Koala Stan is walking the rad back. When his route takes him directly into the path of that big Stig Corp machine, it stops and the uh, the workers call the judges and the boss. And sort of off screen, we learn that the judges basically just beat up Koala Stan and tossed him off on the side of the road and they're back underway. Uh, Derek calls up corporate. There's more jokes about the boss being trans, I guess, which I'm not a super fan of. And uh, O'Hearn reports that they're moving in on Drongo Springs and that Chopper has been killed. But... Chopper hasn't been killed. Instead, he's at the front of a whirlwind, leading his super, his surfer buddies into Sydney. He's a child of the wind, and the song of death he heard during the super surf is back with, back with him, and that means trouble for everyone involved. <laughs> right. I do think that's uh, awesome, though, is that, that, that narrative. Definitely. Yeah, and, I, and I mean, because... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I just feel like Chopper's uh, yeah, violence in Chopper story is particularly graphic, but it always seems maybe just more jarring with the contrast. Judge Dredd yeah. in Mega City One, you know, oh, guy got an arrow in the forehead. Whatever, let's move on. But like when uh, you know, there's in the, a bunch of people just trying to surf, and then one of them gets their la- arm cut off with a laser. I don't know, it just sticks with you more, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's definitely got a different tone. And they definitely, I think the big thing about these Chopper stories, yeah, is is that they do a lot to make the violence seem like graphic and shocking in a way that it's not. In Dread, I mean, in Dread, yeah, all these dudes getting arrows in the head, that's more kind of like funny or silly than it is anything else, you know? Mm -hmm, But I think that's a real strength of the comic, actually, that they can sort of 
like have these two views of violence right next to each other and it kind of makes sense and works as opposed to just being like jarring and, and weird, I guess. Right. I, yeah. I think it's that, that contrast too. I think it has a lot to do with it because yeah, yeah. Judge Red shooting and flamethrowing and motorcycling and then, you know, someone gets shot. You're like, okay, that makes sense. Right. But something, something about someone just, man, me and my wife we're expecting a baby. You want to go surf and drink some beer? Oh no, laser! You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, totally, totally. Yeah, I think it's definitely something to keep an eye out for as we go through this story. And yeah, I think these sort of these contrasts are really cool. I mean, this is sort of this is part of this idea of uh, of the magazine being a slightly more adult comics. They're taking like some more nuanced looks at this violence than just sort of just the the normal stuff, I guess. But let's continue on and just talk about some more current events with Story 3, The Mega City News. Uh, script by uh, Tony Allen, designed by Shanti. And more news from the Mega City in this newspaper supplement. A giant robo-dog robo has eaten a bus on the highway. And just so you know, you can also enter to win your own robo-dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> The bogus family is trying to get their dad freed from jail as reports of a, of a block circles figure in or, or, or uh, uh, filter in, which seems to be these cities built by um, aliens in the shape of crop circles or something like that. Um, the psychic advice columns has questions answered by Stalin and my horoscope <laughs> says that if I, uh, I should live it up this week because I'll be in the hospital soon anyway. Okay. Well, yeah. That's good news. Fair enough. The final page is mostly about the block, this block tax controversy that seems to be a, be, uh, a simmering under the surface as mopads are running low on fuel, and there's a lot more jokes about the Bogus family trying to get their dad released from prison in the uh, in the one ads at the end of the story. <laughs> next up, alien. Yes, next up, um, this block circle again. An alien city has been found in a radiation swamp, just like a crop circle, and it's a good thing too because people from all over the city are being exiled because they're unable to pay the dang block tax. <laughs> It's causing a lot of strife as block tax non-payment has shot up to the top of the charts of the top 10 crimes in the megacity. There's no relationship um, advice or horoscopes in issue three. And a lot of ads this time for various cars, the Brooklyn Bridge, and one for uh, vids of Judge Anderson at home, hubba hubba, etc. <laughs> <laughs> sure somebody's gonna get uh, some time for that uh, yeah i would say don't get uh, caught with those for sure <laughs> um but that takes us in turn to just some extra content here let's talk about non-stories covers and editorials <laughs> this is sort of the extra stuff in the comic here basically um for issue two, Dredd stands over his city with Chopper, Death, and I think maybe Anderson in the background is covered by uh, Sean Phillips. Mega action, mega death, mega dread. <laughs> and this comic, which is a lot of like light and dark blues in it, was used actually to promote the Meg in 2000 AD. There's like used in like commercials for the magazine and stuff, and they even gave away a big poster sized version of it before the magazine came out. Yeah. On the inside cover is an ad for Judge Pal, your friendly Mega City One judge that wants you to report in your parents' crimes <laughs> if you're a kid. Um, 
There's also an editorial where John Wagner works out the timeline of the stories in the Meg, which I've been mentioning, and makes clear that stories in the magazine can take place whenever they want. They aren't bound by the timeline of 2000 AD or whatever. Um, also, it says that there's a note in the credits that says they do not want to thank anybody else for support and assistance. Thank you very much. <laughs> we, we did it on our own, except for 2080 editor Richard Burton, who let them use the Beyond Our Kenny story. <laughs> and the back page of this issue has a teasers for all the upcoming stories and a coupon to reserve your next copy of the magazine on sale November 17th. So, issue three, guess who's coming to dinner? It's Judge Death with an apple in his mouth and a real gross cover by Duncan Figretto. <laughs> yeah, I really like that one. I like how um, it's like a it's like a it's like Death's head with his helmet and stuff on like a plate. And then he's got an apple in his mouth and, like, his tongue is sticking out of it or something like that. Right. Yeah, because I know he can phase through things. I, I know his hand can at least phase yeah. through chests. So I'm wondering if he's, like, just coming out of the table, like, and there's just coincidentally an apple Ooh, where his mouth is. I could, yeah. could be. I don't know. He's spooky. Like, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, right. <laughs> inside, we learn that the first letters page will be next issue. But they've got some very early reviews for the comic from different folks, all very, po- all very positive. And they ask for, like, want ads and relationship advice to be answered in the Mega City News. But, listen, speaking of answering ads in the Mega City News and the disastrous <laughs> results of that, we should continue on with Story 4, Young Death. A script John Wagner as Brian Scudder, art about Pete, Peter Doherty, lettering about Gordon Robson. This one takes place, of course, soon after the events of Necropolis. As um, as a hack, uh, Brian Scudder is interviewing Death about his life story. Death says he's tired of killing and seems to be either inadvertently or secretly on purpose quoting the movie Psycho. Um, <laughs> he's again telling this to reporter Brian Scudder and he warns him both to not give the details about the conversation and to like can it with the sarcasm. Like, I see you're making all these little jokes. Stop doing right. it, you know? Right. Yeah. Which is – talks about his character to look at death and then be like, I got these one-liners. You know, that's that's c- commitment. It feels very much, yeah, like like literal like gallows humor. Like you're about to be hung, so you just kind of got jokes for everybody, you know? <laughs> right. That makes sense. <laughs> so uh, uh, Scudder brings up the recent events and asks how death escaped capture and stuff. That's not really what death wants to talk about. He goes into it some – um, it seems after Necropolis, he hid among the bodies of the dead, being buried in a mass grave in pit number 12 of the mass graves. We actually, um, in the Progs, I think just last, or recently, we saw the dedication of one of these last, of, of one of these mass graves. So it's very much a sort of like the, the, a repeated look of, of what the after effects of, of Necropolis are. Um, a pair of grave robbers dug into the pit to get some valuables when from the pile of corpses, Judge Death came back to life and kill that and kills them. <laughs> these days he wouldn't hurt a fly, but these ones weren't flies. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think Judge uh, Death knows, understands the metaphor, really. He's- I wouldn't kill a fly, like, but I will kill anything else. Like, okay. So you would then, like that's yeah. I'm, well, you I'm know, it's, safe. it's so easy for him to kill that you know it doesn't seem like that big a deal for him, you know. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but 
he it does see it does seem like he finds comfort lying among the dead, which is kind of weird, and hiding and he does that to also hide from the eyes of the mega city. But now that he's reawoken, he decides it's time to get back down to business. So he steals some clothes from the grave robbers and various corpses. And re-enters Mega City One, eventually finding a room for rent in the Sylvia Plath block. <laughs> Hoping for privacy, a disguised Judge Death rents a room from Miss Gunderson, because she's too blind to see him fully, and, you know, just sort of bumps into things, thinks he's just a, 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 a tall, handsome man named Jay Death. Um, <laughs> she shows him around the place and introduces him to fellow lodger, Mr. Peel, who's so shocked by Death's appearance that he's momentarily frozen, which allows Judge Death plenty of time to just casually slide a murderous hand into the back of his fellow lodger. And <laughs> when Scudder asks where Mr. Peel is now, like Death just sort of motions and his corpse is just hidden under the bed in his room here. <laughs> <laughs> Very classy. I really love how um, Death and Gunderson like get along. Like they're like telling jokes and being very polite to each other and stuff like mm. that. Like they actually have like some chemistry of just right. like friendship or something like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I did love his, uh, uh, you know, his housemate uh, who just was freaking out so much, couldn't really do anything about it. Like, I, you know, yeah. he's just like, I don't like he, that situation. He, he spits out his cereal. He's frozen in place. And then you start to say, do you know who that is? Right. right. <laughs> I like thinking that uh, death was cool enough that uh, if he would have just been quiet or like, oh, hey, death, well, you know, whatever. And then uh, death might have lived, you know? Yeah. You don't death doesn't want to be treated like a celebrity you know he hates that yeah exactly yeah that's make why a big you, deal about that, it. that's why he wore a trench coat and a hat in the first place he's trying to keep yeah, a low right. pre- he's trying to keep it low pro you know right exactly <laughs> <laughs> so um fearing for his life scudder has oh, oh uh miss gunderson comes in Oh, sorry, uh, Scudder's freaked out by all this, especially because, you know, Death has said that he's done killing, but he does seem to have killed a fair amount of people uh. since he said <laughs> that he was done killing. Um, right. Death threatens That's- him a little bit, and then Miss Gunderson comes in to remind him that he and Mr. Peel have rent due and don't forget. But in the end, fearing for his life, Scudder has no choice but to do Death's bidding, and that is to make a record of how Judge Death came to be, how he came to love Death and view life as the ultimate crime. You know, the origins of, of Judge Death, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was very exciting. Um, uh, what was I going to say? You know, I think Judge Death is saying, you know, well, you know, I'm done with Death. I think he's, you know, in comparison to the, you know, hundreds and thousands a day that he would usually oh, yeah. be doing – He's like, I killed like four people. I mean, I got to live a little bit, you know. Yeah, he's it's, definitely slowed down for yeah, sure. Right, but yeah, right. no, I agree where he's he's killing some people. Like, what, I can't, I can't exist. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wet my beak a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, so this is going to be, um, I'll say this really feels a lot like um, Interview with a Vampire to me. Just this reporter yes. sort of talking to this guy. The movie for that wouldn't be out until about four years from now. But the book oh, wow. was, but the book was in the 70s, so it feels like it easily could have been a reference for Wagner as he's sort of writing this. 
Hmm, that makes sense. And I feel like because he's just sort of taking it from a slightly obscure book as opposed to a popular movie, that's why it's called Young Death or whatever instead of just being called Interview with Death or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to, you know, just learning more about death in – uh, those things. I feel like that's that's gonna be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just what his uh, he's he's clearly from some kind of alternate dimension and stuff like that. So just what's going right. on with all that stuff? You know, I'm hoping he's the counterpart to Judge Dread. Like you know, oh, I, my name used to be Dread, but then you know, you know, this stuff happened, and now I'm dead. Now you know. Yeah, let's keep an eye out I, for it for sure. I, I doubt it. That's that's a little too on the nose. I yeah, think. no, I think <laughs> I, I, I think if he was literally called Judge Death in another world, that would be a or Judge Dredd in another world, that would be a lot. But, you know, right. it could be something along those lines, I guess. You know, we should definitely check for his chin. When right, he's, yes. Um, exactly. Like, if he's got more skin in the next one and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Anyway, ne- <laughs> next time on Young Death, Little Boy Death and his pet, Woofy. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to make us love death. Like, you know, some type of cute, you know, innocent character with, with a lot of heart. And you're like, oh, yeah, Young Death, you know, he's all right. And then, you know, I'm ready for it. Like I'm, I, I'm ready to be sympathetic to this mass murderer. It's fine. I've, I've, I've been interested in the fates of worse. You know, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but hey, speaking of uh, cold, heartless murderers, Eli, <laughs> or at least people who think they're killing for a cause, let's right. go to story five, America. Script about John Wagner, art about Colin McNeil, letter about Annie Parkhouse. And we're jumping around a bit in this one. So it takes place a couple of different times in the course of uh, Mega City One. Um, we start with a judge, maybe Dredd, saying it's a known fact that every perp was once a Juve. So it's good. Every once in a while when you see a kid, just to give him a good hard look and let him know that you're keeping an eye on him to keep him honest. <laughs> right. Strike hard. Fear into the hearts of those children. That's right. Their own good. Yeah, we see like a little kid with in like a flower shirt that's dropped their ice cream, and a judge just staring daggers right at him. (laughs) (laughs) So in the flashback, um, Amy and Benny are older now. They're maybe in high school. They're learning about Thomas Jefferson, and America is not impressed by the claim that it that the country was founded on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, she's basically saying like, like, well, we got, we don't got no liberty. We don't got no happiness. It sucks here. And the teacher gives a vaguely threatening, well, at least you have your life. Be happy for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Amy's pretty mad, but as they hang out on the roof, uh, Benny lightens her mood with, with a, by making up a silly song about the judges and stuff. Amy wants to do more, though, so she's sort of talked to a democracy group and is posting anti-judge bills on the wall all over city, all over the city supporting the, the Democrats and stuff. And we see as they're talking about this, a distant judge just watches them through binoculars. Benny went with her once posting bills, but she does it a ton and eventually got arrested and went to the went to the juve cubes for, for a couple months. And at this point, it seems pretty clear that uh, Amy and Benny are growing apart. Her activism is so important to her, and it sort of doesn't really work for him. Um, it seems like for a while they might have been going out, but they're mostly just friends. Um, and when um, and 
Benny's very much on the outside of Amy's new democracy group. And like basically, you know, eventually she says she loves him like a brother when she takes a, a cool Democrat dude with her to the big school dance and stuff. <laughs> There they live. Taylor's oldest time. It's it's you know the like even in the future there's no cure for the friend zone I guess. Um, <laughs> at the dance, America literally dances on the ceiling while Betty sings a few comedy songs on stage. Then after high school, Amy goes to a West Sector University with her Democrat boyfriend, and Benny stays home. Eventually, though, his mom dies, and, and America went to a protest instead of to his mom's funeral. It's a bummer. There, Betty says goodbye to Amy's father, who regrets ever coming to this country. It's not the dream he was promised. Right. Which is a bummer. And though they've been exchanging letters, Betty decides to move out of their city block, the Fred Nietzsche, to uh, seek his fortune as a judge idly looks on. And the next time right. he saw America, she would have the blood of four judges on her hands. I do love the judges kind of being ever present, even in the nair, you know, just visually. Definitely. Like, uh, it's definitely uh, some uh, nice foreshadowing kind of. Yeah, like they aren't even like doing anything or about to arrest them or anything like that. They're just sort of like hanging out. Right. Vaguely They're always observing around. Things. Yeah. <laughs> so Benny was in Mega City 2 when the Apocalypse War started. And I do really love this first page of just like the sum up of the Apocalypse War. There's like War Marshal Kazan and some war droids and like, you know, a judge shooting an East Meg judge and stuff. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, West Sector U was destroyed in the fighting. And it seems like the Yaris family was killed in the course of block mania. Some rando says it was like a suicide or that like that the dad like that 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 Mr. Yara like killed himself with a laser or something. But he, he doesn't seem super reliable. I gotta say, um, <laughs> right, right. America's name doesn't appear on any dead lists, so Betty assumes that she's alive, but is sort of resigned that he's lost her. Basically, luckily for him, though, around this time he had a big break. He got hired to sing some commercial jingles, and then graduated to doing full comedy like uh, performances and stuff. Apparently, he's very popular with women because they want to take care of him or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, as Benny's re re remembering this, we see in, I think, the present, a woman who see who, who looks like America. It's, I'm pretty sure it's her um, preparing to go on stage at the Talk of the Meg Club, which is advertising Bennett Beanie extensively. Um in the past, uh, uh, Benny got rich and was living a life of luxury and like a fancy uh, uh, future com condo and stuff like that. But he still thinks yeah. about America. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. He also has a hover pool. Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know the purpose of, but, you know, it doesn't cool you off, I don't think. Oh, it's, but, you know, maybe it's got cool air, but you mostly just sort of hang float. out in, in, the, in space or something. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, he kind of like he he still thinks about America. He tried to he looked for her in that big democracy march we talked about. But, you know, she would have been one person of 60 million impossible to find, really. Um, and we sort of see him watching the march on TV on 
on his like big luxury TV and as the judges weighed in with their day sticks and stuff. He lives alone, brief relationships that never really work out for companies or for companionship. He's been hiring sex workers. And while looking for one, he finds America out on the stroll. <laughs> or so it seems because she tells him to get out of here. And when right. he doesn't, he doesn't notice a bunch of other people standing around this street, this across, this crosswalk, all have guns they're pulling out. And America pulls one herself as a judge drives by. And the whole group opens fire on that judge, Judge Cruz, knocking him off his bike and then blowing his brains out execution style when he tries to radio in the attack. I really need to learn how to take a hint. You know, when, when, after your girlfriend pulls a gun out and they start shooting judges, you run. I mean, you don't just sit there and like stand there like, oh, no, what's happening? That's that's two, pe- to me. two people <laughs> having some real trouble taking the hint and running instead of uh, mm-hmm. standing there in shocked silence when something's bad is about to happen. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the killers go, ru- go, to, go to run in a hover van and one of them named Curd goes to kill Benny for being a witness. Over America's protest, he shoots Benny in the throat, and then they fly off, leaving Benny and the judge for dead, lying on the sidewalk in pools of their own blood. To be continued. I mean, we see that Benny's going to be at this nightclub, so presumably he'll survive. But All right. Who needs a throat in the future, right? You just get one of those prosthetic throats and, uh, you know, keep it rolling. Uh uh, that was uh, exceptionally graphic. I really wasn't expecting all that. But I guess, you know, with all these wars going on and, you know, uh, America, liberty, it, just based on just the art alone, you can tell they're going for much more of a dark kind of um, – uh, Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, like the Chopper story, this one's all like – you know, like how – I mean this one, like the first two, like this one paired with Judge Death are both, you know, taking both a lighthearted and very serious and graphic approach to death and violence, I think. Mm, right. Uh, yeah, I think they uh, even um, – you know, they got a full shot of that one judge getting uh, shot yeah. in the chest on the full page. So you really feel like, oh, no, this is – is real. That guy yeah. had a family. Seriously. <laughs> that guy's in it's, trouble. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I mean, he didn't have a family. He had the law. All oh, right. <laughs> that, that, that was his family. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Something. But speaking of family values, Eli. <laughs> You're killing these tie-ins. Listen, this, this is my that, – that, that's my one talent is these, is these <laughs> transitions, you know. <laughs> Let's talk about Story 6, Beyond R. Kenny. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Cam Kennedy, lettering robot Annie Parkhouse. So this one is taking place in a, tw- in a 2111, so about maybe a year before sort of what's going on in 2000 AD at this point. Um, in Justice Central, Dredd goes over the Kenny Who case, and it does seem to agree that Kenny's just this small-town guy that got out of, in over his head, and it's costing him money just to kind of keep him around. Like, they don't need this guy here. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, though, at Big One Comics, they're talking about a new comic from their competitors, Trash Co., and I really like Eli, this um, company president, because he looks like a full-on supervillain. Right. With, like this like flowing white hair and big black trench coat and uh, stuff like or, that. Right. It's perpetually blowing in the wind. There's not any wind in the room. No. No one else is no, blowing. He's just got a perpetual five-mile-an-hour breeze going to make him look cool, basically. <laughs> right. 
But this story is called The Incredible Shrinking Man, and it's or Stinking Man, I should yes. say. And it's there so you go. It's selling real well because it's drawn by a real human. That's the trend. People are tired of robot draw of robot artists. They got to find their own human artist real quick. And luckily, one of the suits knows a guy. That Kenny who? <laughs> Meanwhile, the man himself is feeding his artistic needs by painting the walls of his own ISO cube with brushes made from his own hair and paint made from leftover food scraps. Man, he's uh, committed. Yeah, I mean, that's... getting kind of kind of insane about it. Not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> suddenly, though, he has a visitor. It's his family again, and they reveal they only have twenty four hours left in the city. Things are bad, but then Dredd shows up, and he's just gonna deport Kenny out of here today. All right. <laughs> The who's go to leave when that suit from Big One shows up, lies that he helped get Kenny released, and then offers him a contract to be an artist. We love you, baby! <laughs> the family says no. They pile into, like, a uh, catch wagon and head off to the shuttle port as Kenny, um, hearing those words, does start to daydream about the publisher's offer. <laughs> Suddenly, an explosion goes off. Dredd stops the vehicle and runs to help the victims and has the Who's wait on the side of the road. As they wait, Kenny mulls over that contract. They said they loved me. They offered me a contract. It's my big break. And over the objections of his wife, he climbs into the driver's seat of the vehicle, steals the van, and goes to answer his calling at last. Kenny's desperate to get that contract as his wife tells him to stop, but his son eggs him on to drive faster. <laughs> his wife, Izzy, grabs the wheel and the van goes out of control and lands straight into a rad pit. Things are looking bad as the vehicle starts to sink and suddenly Kenny comes to his senses. You know, they've got to run, but Izzy says they should just admit to everything and things will go okay if they just sort of say like, hey, we were wrong. Sorry about that. She tries to radio into control as elsewhere the explosion has been contained and Dredd goes to rejoin his prisoners only to find him find them gone. He's flummoxed. He's like, I was going to I was going to let him go. Why? What, what happened? <laughs> Dredd gets the report of where they are and goes to recover the who's who have now gotten clear of the van as it makes its final sink into the slime. Things get worse, though, when a bunch of no-good punks show up and demand the family's money. But when they go to give it to them, Izzy drops the creds, and Kenny goes down to pick him up, and comes up swinging, he punches one guy in the face. <laughs> one, the, another one jumps at Kenny, but he kind of ducks them, and they get and they jump straight into that rad pit as Kenny headbutts another one, and Izzy kicks the third in, in the nuts. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to mess with that family; they've but, been through a lot. Yeah, I mean, they've got the fighting a bit. You know, they're like they've got the kicks and headbutts of uh, of a progressive fighting style in here mm. for sure. Um, one last perp has a gun, but gets dropped by Dread as he arrives on the scene. He contemplates giving the entire Who family a hard, um, hard time for what they've done. But in the end, the cries of the children and his general tiredness of dealing with these weirdos gets the better of him. And he dr <laughs> still drives them all over to the Atlantic Tunnel. Kenny Who and the family return to Cowhab, although the artist still can't shake the dream of doing professional comic artwork someday. 
<laughs> can he ever rekindle that dream? Who knows? The end of right. Beyond R. Kenny. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, really nice. I was glad they got a happy ending. I could have sent seen Dread kind of uh, yeah, like tossing them all in jail. It was definitely a toss up for sure. Right, but uh, I think uh, J- Judge made a the right move just based on resource allocation and the weirdness of this family. And it's you like, and yeah. you know that if he arrests this family, then you know in a year or two there's going to be like a dozen who's there right, looking for exactly. everybody else and stuff. Like right. the whole town's going to come over, and that's right. just they a just vicious keep, circle, you know. They, they just keep multiplying, right? Yeah, so, you gotta hey. you, you, you you gotta nip this in the bud, basically. Right. You guys go home, stay there, yeah. and we won't have any troubles. Don't want to hear it. Don't write. Right. Just stay over. Stay over there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, heart goes out to a, a fellow artist character. Uh, I like the also um, the like dream not coming true, but the hope still being there. Like I like thinking that who understands the importance of family now, because really he should just listen to his wife. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Learn that lesson that you know when your wife's like, no, this is dumb. There's so many things that are going to go wrong. Uh, then you know you. you and then, oh, you're right. You're right. They all did go wrong. Yeah. Uh, um, turns out you had the right idea all along. Uh, right. Yeah. Honestly, you should just be trying to found like an indie comic seed in Calhav or something yeah, like that. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Apparently, they're becoming more popular. So yeah, you don't need them. Who you know? Let them. Yeah. Let them rot. Yeah. Put it on the. Put it on the on whatever the internet is in the in the mega city world or something like right. that for sure. <laughs> That's the end of this story. Will the new story starting um in the next um the next uh, uh magazine and Ke- but Kenny who himself will return in the year t- two thousand and five. So don't hold your breath for it. It's going to be a little while yet. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Awesome. And with that, Eli, we finished the second and third issues of the Judge Dredd magazine. All right. High five. I must ask you now. All right. Yeah, there it was. What were your top and bottom stories for these these, uh, issues? All right. Uh, Well, I'm not going to pick, uh, you know, the uh, news articles as a bottom. That's fair. Yeah, that's fine. It's too too easy to, to pick that. Um, I liked um, the Who stories the most, um, and I'm getting more and more appreciation for the art. I, just the uh, mm-hmm. line work and colors is uh, really impressive how they can uh, – sometimes they just use all cool colors, some all warm. Sometimes they don't even put a background, but it all feels really like uh, really well thought out, really powerful, really mm-hmm. uh, really solid. Nice. I, I, I'm a sucker for uh, inks. Like I really love uh, uh, ink work. Um so that's that's on the top. They also gave me a nice ending. Yeah, uh, which brings me to my, my my lowest, which is uh, uh, young death. I feel like they just uh, did the same thing where, and then mm. so after that, I went here, talked to that person, killed those people, and now I'm here. So now next next comic, I'll actually tell you about me. Like I'm like okay, yeah, use two two um two chapters to set up the third chapter. Uh, so I think that one uh, lost a couple points uh, for that. Although it was, of course, very humorous and, you know, a lot of people were in some wacky situations during it. So I thought that was a lot of fun, but I felt like they were teasing me all the way till the end. Yeah, I think I agree, actually. Yeah, I think death, 
Young Death is is definitely the one with the longest like like wind up here. I think. <laughs> right. Like, right. All these other ones were definitely in the action. Like Chopper, were in the action. You know. Right. Um, People uh, already losing arms. Yeah, like uh, Midnight. Midnight Brothers, or or what was that? Uh, uh, Midnight Children. You know, people are getting killed left and right. Dread took out that hunter guy. So that's sort of like a mini climax in the story, you know? Right. Even, Any, even America. like America, because it uses so much foreshadowing and stuff, like, mm-hmm. I feel like that story is really tense and giving us a lot of stuff. And like the guy who's supposed to be the narrator got killed. Right. You know, that He's seems like... Sh- that's shot pretty, in the neck. Yeah, that's a pretty strong <laughs> cliffhanger, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Whereas Judge Death, which which is fun, but it is kind of relying on the same jokes over and over again, like mm-hmm. the jokes of um, it's weird that um, Judge Death wants to tell this story and uh, Miss Gunderson is blind, like those sort of jokes we're seeing mm-hmm. like a, a couple of different times, you know. Right. Yeah. And I think it's that uh, reveal. Judge Death hasn't revealed anything that's been like, oh, wow. It's been yeah. like, oh, yeah, I, I fell. I was in the graveyard. I came here. I killed my roommate. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, and, it's uh, very much teasing us with it. Like, and now we're going to talk about mm-hmm. my youth or whatever the story of right. Judge Death. But we're definitely, you know, we're three months in, so I'm so I'm, I'm ready to kind of get some meat into. You know, I've, we've been we've been eating a lot of crust for this sandwich. I'm ready to get to some some filling at some point. You know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I do think they will. Uh, I have faith that they will jump right into it next. Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's pretty reasonable yeah. for sure. But yeah, yeah, but you're right. You said it's been, uh, been three months already. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a long time to wait. Yeah. I know. Uh, uh, even after just reading the first month, I was like, oh, next, next, next month, they're yeah. jumping I, right into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we could have started this this in this episode for sure. Right. But I think yeah, I'll I'll join you with uh with Young Death as 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 my bottom thrill this time. And I think for my top, oh, it's a tough one. I really like the I, I like the continued development of America a lot, but I think for me this time the art and just the way the story's going in Earth Wind and Fire the Chopper story is really sticking with me. I think you know yeah. that one image of the space laser hitting Wipeout Jones is pretty solid. Just oh, the yeah. the juxtaposition actually in that second issue of first wipeout sort of surfing peacefully over the rad back and it ending with him being like brutally killed like that is pretty cool. Yeah, that sucks. I really like that guy. Yeah. I was hoping no, to more him. Cool, he's a cool dude. And yeah. then like I'm also kind of chuckling at all of this like real Australia stuff. The mm-hmm. the chief with the core cats. Right. And again, just these um these executives in Bermuda shorts remain very funny to me. They wear sunglasses <laughs> all the time and stuff. Like I don't know. I just think that's a fun <laughs> a fun weird corporate chic kind of thing. I don't know. And I guess it's fair to assume the guy who lost he got hit with the laser first. He's not alive anymore. No. Like, I was I was staring at that panel like, maybe, you know, maybe he just lost the arm. Nah, because you can like, see that laser, like, clipping part of his head, too, and stuff like uh, that. Like, right. I and feel like. Part of his, his ribs, too. Like, I think it went, it, like, it took yeah. his shoulder. So, it's like, some of his his lungs, I'm sure, are gone now. Yeah, so. no, they, he's, he's not going to, I don't think he's going to make it. No. <laughs> That's sort of how it goes. <laughs> it's all right. Got to, you know, sad but true, man. You got to strike first, establish these stakes, I guess. <laughs> Something. <laughs> right. Anyway, okay, awesome. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitcher, 
Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMeg1.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMeg1 at gmail.com in the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. For all those, check out BigMeg1 with the numeral one, and you'll find us there. Um, then this show is brought to you by Steve Green and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd really appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. And there you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As from me and Fox over on Space Spinner. Then come back in two weeks as we will finish the first calendar year of the Judge Dredd magazine. Just three months to start. And thus, it's, um, and thus it's time to have a quick year in re- review show and the first installment of The Maggies. Put on your ruby tuxedo and we'll see you there. And until then, I'm Conrad, there you lie, and we are Big Mac One. Rocket. Rocket.